On today's show, we're gonna continue our series on becoming an exceptional technician. Step two, having a process and training on that process. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egia.org show and see what we're doing there and Cracking the Code. Thanks for listening, let's get started. You know, if you spend any time around me or EGIA at all, you would understand how much we value process, 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 process. You gotta have a process and you gotta have a system to be successful. This is true in any area of life. It's especially true in our business. I mean, think about this for a moment. Imagine your installers or your service technicians did not have a process to do their job. In other words, installers just showed up and started yanking equipment out and setting new equipment in with no rhyme and no reason to what they do. Imagine a service technician who just walks in the house and starts unplugging stuff and you know, replacing stuff, whatever, without any process to diagnose the problem. Of course, we would never do this. Well, the same rules apply as a service technician and as a comfort consultant for that matter. You have to have a process to go about your business. Why? Well, it's very simple. Consistent results come from consistent activities. Random results come from random activities. So if you're having inconsistent results, in other words, one month you do really well, maybe on selling accessories or setting leads, and uh, the next month you don't do well at all, up and down and up and down, those are by definition random results. Well, guess what? Those random results are coming from a random process. And what I mean by that is we walk in the house and we essentially let the homeowner take over the entire process, right? They decide when we're gonna talk about price. They decide when we're gonna diagnose the equipment. They decide we're gonna do this and do that. The bottom line is you have to have control of that process. Now, when I talk about control, I don't mean in some you know, hardcore, hard sale, high pressure way. I mean just be in control of the process as a professional. You can let the conversation ramble off this direction and that direction for a little bit, but you have to be able to bring people back into that process and keep yourself on those rails. You know, you're gonna have people that wanna go down a rabbit hole and start talking about this or start talking about that, and that's okay. But when you come back, you have to bring them back to the point where you left off. Left off. That's why having a process is so important. If you don't have a process and you just kind of wing it, then what's going to happen is you're going to get off the, the rails, go down some rabbit hole, and you'll come back and maybe you pick up where you left off, maybe you don't. The problem with that is, is you can end up skipping some very important parts of the sales process, right? Or any process. So you've got to think about this in terms of how you would on an install and a service call. If you did an install and didn't have a process, you would have very poor quality results. I mean, think about it. Suppose on install, you went and did 10 installs, or your installers did, and they had no rhyme, they had no reason, they had no real process to do those installations. It's doubtful that you would have very good quality work. You probably have 10 systems that may or may not work properly. Right? It's the same way on the sales side of your service tech role, right? As a service technician, you have two roles. You've got the technical responsibilities of being a qualified service technician, but you also have to be a great communicator. You know, wasn't so long ago, maybe 15 years ago in this business, if you were a great service technician, that's all you needed to be. Well, today, if you're going to succeed at the highest levels, you've got to be a great technician and you've got to be a great communicator, right? If you're going to communicate, you've got to use a process. Now, the process we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show is a very simple process I've developed called RISC, Relationship, Investigate, Solve, and Conclude the Call. We'll talk about uh, that a little bit more in, in a moment. But you've got to have a process to follow. Again, why is it so important? Well, if I'm in the relationship building phase of my call 
and all of a sudden the kid starts crying or you know the dog starts barking or someone knocks the door my homeowner gets off track when they come back I gotta know exactly where I was when I left off okay I'm still in the relationship building process and I have a, a checklist of things I want to accomplish within that process so you gotta remember if you want consistent results in installation in service or in sales the sales side of your service job or as a comfort consultant you have to have a process why again simple as this consistent results come from consistent activities random results come from random activities if you want to have consistent results you have to have a system you have to rely upon a process now we're going to talk more about that process but right now I want you to understand if you're going to succeed at the highest level if you're going to be a top performer you have to rely on a process now when you think about process again that's what we're about here at contract university right we have systems and processes for everything right from a service department to your finance department to your sales department to your install department everything has to have a process and so we want to give you that training especially in the area of our 10 core pillars give you that training in each area that you need to have a process to organize your company now if you're an EGI member then I suggest you get in and start doing the training if you're not I want you to fill out the form and you're gonna get some free training and free access so you can try out the, the the website try out the platform and see if it's something that might be a good fit for you and your company bottom line is you gotta have a process and that's what we have here we have all the processes all the training for every department in your company Now, once you have a process, we have to engage in training on that process, right? The reality is we have to train and retrain on a consistent basis on the process because we have to learn the process and then we have to make sure we're implementing the process on a consistent basis. You know, Zig Ziglar used to say that training is like eating or training is like taking a bath, right? You got to do it every day. And I tell managers and owners all the time because sometimes managers and owners can get frustrated. Like, you know, I told the guy a thousand times, you know, not to do that or to do this, right? Well, guess what? If, if human nature was such that you could tell somebody one time and then they did it every time after that, then we wouldn't need owners and we wouldn't need managers, right? But that's just not reality because technicians and sales consultants and installers, they get busy, they get distracted, and sometimes people forget. It's really amazing. I, I remember uh, a guy, Winston Dennis, and Winston, if you're out there somewhere, I love you, hope you're doing well. Uh, he's in Kansas City now. But uh, Winston was our top sales guy. And it, it's crazy because Winston worked for me for about five years. And I remember that in the last couple of weeks he was working for me before he went back to Kansas City, we were having pretty much the same conversations that we were having the first couple of weeks he worked with me, right? Because the reality is you have to keep practicing the fundamentals, right? Uh, Vince Labarda, the famous football coach, he used to begin every, every uh, training season, you know, every, every uh, uh, summer camp, right? This is a football, right? Training camp started with the basics, the fundamentals. And now these were college and high school and, and then professional football players. And yet Vince Lombardi taught them the basics and made them practice the fundamentals, the blocking and tackling of football. Well, in sales, we have blocking and tackling too, right? It's the relationship building, learning how to ask a question, learning how to close. These are all the fundamentals of sales. And if you think you're going to perform at the highest level because you just got those skills, well, guess what? It's just not going to happen, right? If you combine those skills with a process and you train on those skills, you train on that process, that's how you get consistently high results. So we have to train on an ongoing basis. And by the way, there's no substitute, no substitute whatsoever for role play. If you want to have success, you have to practice, you know, the things you're going to say. That's what role play is all about. I know people don't want to do it because it makes them nervous. Well, the fact that it makes you nervous is the very reason you have to do it. I was talking with a young guy recently. Uh, very talented young comfort consultant, and, but he's been struggling, right, of late. 
And he's fairly new, but he's had some good months, and so I know he has the potential. He's a, he's a sharp kid, and he was a college and high school baseball player. And we were having a little one-on-one -on -one session, and I said, you know, how long did it take? How much, how much baseball did you have to watch to get really good at it? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you went to college on a baseball scholarship, right? He goes, yeah. I said, so if you went to college on a baseball scholarship, you must have been a pretty good high school baseball player. He goes, yeah, I was a great baseball player. I said, well, how much baseball did you have to watch to get really good at it? He goes, I didn't watch baseball to get good at it. I played baseball. I said, exactly. You practiced and you played baseball. The reality is you cannot watch enough baseball to get good at it. You cannot watch enough sales videos to get good at it. You can't watch other people and get good at it. You have to practice it yourself. That's about practicing the training, right? Training on the process. So once you understand the value of a process, that's great, right? We have the processes here at Contract University. Then you have to train the process, and that's an ongoing deal, right? It's not a, it's not a once a year type of deal. It's a every week, sometimes every day, right? But you got to train on a consistent basis if you want to get consistent results. So you got to find the process, and you got to train on the process, if and only if you want consistently good results. If you don't get a rip about your results, then don't worry about it. But if you want great results, it's never going to come without practice, practice, practice. And practice in this business means training and role playing on the process. Now, we've talked about, you know, having a process and we've talked about training on the process. The question then becomes, what is the process, right? Well, as I alluded to earlier, it's a very simple process and I wrote about it in this book. It's a very simple process based on the acronym of RISC, R-I-S-C. Build the relationship, investigate the problems, sell your company and the solutions, and then bring the call to a conclusion. And we'll begin over the next couple of weeks to kind of walk through this process. What I want to do today is to talk about phase one or step one, which is the relationship building phase of the entire process. Listen, we all know that in sales, right, you have to build a relationship. Sales is all about building the relationship, about building trust. This process cannot be, or this part of the process cannot be undervalued. In fact, I was just on a, a call a few weeks ago with one of the uh, comfort consultants that works with a client of mine, and I was training a young man, and we were going on his very first lead. And because it was his first lead, I was actually running the call for him. He had been trained in the process, he knew the process, done a ton of role play with me on the process, but in his first call, I'm gonna run the lead for him, right? Because he's gonna be shell-shocked the first time he walks into a house. So we go in the house, and I'm running the call for him, he's just watching, and we start talking to the homeowner, right? Because building a relationship is just building rapport. You can use the old Zig Ziglar method, F-O-R-M, form, family, occupation, recreation, material, possessions. So I walk in the door, I notice pictures of kids and grandkids everywhere, nice lady, about 65 years old, and I start asking about her family, right? F-O-R-M, family first. And she says, yeah, I just got back from the East Coast, I saw my daughter and her kids and blah, blah, blah. She's talking about her family, I'm like, well, you know, we were in California and they were in New York. I said, well, how long, you know, are you from New York? Or did your kids move out there? Or did you move out here? And she started talking about the whole process, her husband, her moved out there and her husband passed away. Anyway, I just got her talking about her family, that's how you build a relationship. One of the things you have to remember is that in sales, we, we always, we've always heard, right? People buy from people they like, right? Well, guess what? People also buy from people that like them, right? If your customer knows that you like them, they are more inclined to buy from you, right? Yes, you have to like them, or yes, they have to like you, but you also want them to know they like you, right? So how do you do that? Well, you could perform acts of service. You could do something nice for them, right? You could ask them questions or advice. You know, Mr. Prospect, I noticed that you had a Harley-Davidson out in the garage, and I've never had a motorcycle, but if I was ever going to start riding, what would you, you know, tell me what should my first motorcycle be, right? Ask people questions about something they are interested in, and they will be over the moon to tell you those things. Plus, it lets them know you like them, because after all, 
Who do you, you know, ask questions? Who do you get advice from? People that you like and trust. So again, you want them to like you, you want to be likable, but you have to let them know that you like them. Ask them questions about things they're interested in, ask their advice, perform acts of service, and that goes a long way towards people know that you like them. So getting back to this call I was on, we're having this conversation at one point, about 10 or 15 minutes into the call, the homeowner says, yeah, I've got a, while you guys are going up in the attic, I've got a fork stuck in my uh, garbage disposal, right? Well, I, you should know I have zero mechanical skills, but as soon as she said that, I'm like, you know, there's my opportunity because I'm always looking for a way that I can help my homeowner do something nice for them. By the way, if you want to study, you know, the, 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 the art of persuasion, reciprocation is one of the key elements of persuasion, right? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do something nice for me, I feel obligated to do something nice for you. So that's why it's important to always try to find nice things to do for your homeowner, you know, at no charge, just, you know, free things, right? Helping them out, changing light bulbs, whatever. So I go over to the garbage disposal and I get my fingers and I can see this little fork. It's a little miniature fork and it's wedged in this thing diagonally. I can see it. I can even get my fingers behind it, but it's wedged in there so tight, I cannot pull this thing out to save my life. I couldn't believe it. I tried for about five or 10 minutes and she said, well, I'll have to get a plumber. I don't want you to mess with it. And I'm like, there's no way I'm giving up now, right? That was a challenge, right? So understanding that I have zero mechanical skills, I would not even do this at my own home because I would hire somebody to come in and do it for me, but I knew it was my chance to earn her trust, to earn her business, to let her know that I liked her. So I got up under the sink, I cleared all, all the stuff out from under the sink, I take this whole thing apart, right, piece by piece, I finally get in, I get the fork out, right, I put the thing back together, it takes me over an hour, right, to do this entire process. Uh, but I knew by the time I was done with that that the deal was already going to be sold. I knew it because I had been selling her and talking about the company the whole time, that this is the service we're all about, you know, these types of things and making sure your systems work per perfectly. So we finish up the garbage disposal, we go to the kitchen table, we do the, the presentation, but I knew it was already sold. We wrap it up at another 45 minutes, wrap the whole thing up and button everything up. When, when we're finished with the financing, we're getting ready to leave, here's what she says to me, right? She says, you know, you guys are the first ones out. My plan tonight was just to get some information from you and then call some other companies and kind of see, you know, what they had to offer. But after you fixed my garbage disposal, I'm like, I have to buy from this guy. And I'm like, exactly, right? So my point is, is that you communicate to people you like them and you care about them by performing acts of service, right? Going above and beyond. This was a, a textbook example of how you build a relationship and how important it is to your overall sales success. So, Focus on building the relationship, ask questions, right? Uh, ask their advice, do things for them. These are all ways that you can communicate to your homeowner that you like them and that you're trustworthy, you're a likable person. You're a likable person, you like them, you set the groundwork for the rest of the presentation. So building a relationship is critical. And it's not just in the first 10 or 15 minutes, of course, the relationship thread runs throughout the entire fabric of the sales call. But what I'm saying, you have to deliberately and specifically at the beginning of your process, commit yourself to building a relationship, right? To doing things for your homeowner, asking questions, showing genuine interest, all those things will help you build the foundation of a successful sales call, and that is building a relationship. Now, once you build a relationship, ultimately we're gonna leverage that trust, leverage that relationship to offer multiple offerings at the end, right? But before we do that, before we get into that, I wanna share with you a quick video from our very own Gary Ellix about fixing the customer before you can fix the problem. Gary will explain exactly what he means in this short video. There's basically about six or seven items on my list that we'd like to train our technicians on, and I'd like you to have this discussion in inside of your service debriefing uh, so that you work with each of your technicians and you do some role play, but you also just discuss 
uh, how these things are applying in the marketplace. So part of the service call process, as you know, is we use the perfect service call approach. And so we're always going to prepare mentally and emotionally, you know, in the vehicle before we actually get out and start working our way, you know, up to the front door or wherever the customer has asked us to interface. That being said, um, you need to make sure emotionally that you're in the right spot. So to me, that we talked about triggers on one of the previous videos. But now, you know, you have the opportunity, you know, to have that customer actually interface with you. Some customers are going to be okay, they're going to be relaxed, it's not a big deal. Other customers are going to be pretty upset. And we know from the Social Styles video, and I'm going to encourage you to go back and review the Social Styles videos, that you have four or five different personality profiles that you need to deal with, and then there's four quadrants inside of those. So you really have 16 different variations, and each one of those people are going to respond differently based on that sense of urgency or that crisis. So some people are very relaxed under crisis, other people not so much. So as a technician, we don't get the benefit of being dispatched to clients that are only sweet, friendly, I'm okay with it, don't worry about it, yeah, things happen in life, go ahead and take care of it, let me know what's gonna happen. I mean, those are the customers that are pretty easy to work with in terms of the relationship. So let's go through the list. So first on the list, you gotta understand, customers are not expecting that failure. So some repairs are relatively inconvenient, meaning that uh, I've got a party tomorrow or maybe my daughter's graduation was, you know, this week and I'm ha hosting some people. Uh, or there's different reasons why people get out of sorts. Uh, maybe they're just not in a good place in life. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they don't have a lot of money. But they weren't expecting this type of crisis failure. And so this also becomes an opportunity for us, by the way, to be able to talk to them about regularly scheduled maintenance. Now, there's a, a video that's later in this series about selling service agreements, and really selling is kind of a misnomer. We want to be able to present options, and a service agreement is one of those options. Uh, but the idea that a customer wasn't expecting that failure does offer us the opportunity to ask some questions about, you know, hey, when was the last time your system, you know, had regularly scheduled maintenance? So it's an entry point. The second area that you want to look at there is empathy is something that we need to display. Empathy is a concept that's not the same as sympathy. Sympathy is, I feel sorry for you. Uh, empathy is, I understand you. Um, they're, they're different in the sense that I want to acknowledge the customer's problem and their pain point that maybe they didn't expect this or maybe they don't really understand what the overall scope of the problem is. So I like to use the words, you know, tell me more, tell me about the problem, okay, I understand exactly what you're telling me, let me repeat that just so I get it. And so what that does is the ability to check and confirm in the sales process gives the impression that, hey, one, I listen to you, and two, I am empathetic. I understand your point of view. I understand and listen to your concern. That does not mean the customer knows what's going on. Most of them don't, but the idea of displaying empathy is there. Also, being empathetic means that when a customer is barking at you, or you have an aggressive posture, you know, sometimes the driver, or sometimes even an expressive, um, like myself, if we're in a position where we don't feel that people are listening well, uh, sometimes we can escalate our personalities and the energy sort of comes out and it comes at the technician or it comes at the customer service representative. What you have to recognize is that's going to happen and that's real and that it's not necessarily directed at you individually as a person, it's directed at the frustration. Showing empathy in that particular situation says, 
be calm, you know, remain focused on the idea, which is be in your space, right? Control your own mind. Recognize that you acknowledging and saying, well, tell me more about the problem. I do want to help you. I want to make sure I understand. Then when they do explain that type, you know, of problem or whatever their frustration are, then you can say, you know, I, I actually do understand. I understand your point of view. Let's talk about how we solve this problem. So what you're doing is you're de-escalating the situation by demonstrating empathy. It's very easy, by the way, if somebody's in your face, to basically get back in their face, depending on your social style. So we need to understand our own social styles. We need to understand their social styles so that we recognize getting in their face is probably not going to be a good long-term solution. Probably not going to get you that positive Google Plus review that you're looking for. Now I want to move on with the risk process because we're talking about building the relationship and then moving on to the investigation stage. Just as you finish the investigation, or excuse me, the relationship building phase, before you move into investigation, you want to position yourself to offer multiple options. And the way we do that is very, very simple, right? Once you've done your initial small talk, maybe you had a conversation with your homeowner about, you know, pictures in the wall, their Harley Davidson, their fishing, whatever. At some point, it's time to get down to work. And what you can do is you can position yourself to offer multiple solutions. So you say something like this, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, what I'm gonna do now is to go ahead and take a look at your system. Uh, I'm gonna make sure you know, we find out what's going on. If it's a maintenance call, you can tell them I'm gonna perform the annual maintenance. If it's a demand repair call, I'm gonna go ahead and start diagnosing the problem. Whatever it is, just explain what you're gonna do and then ask them, listen, as I'm looking around at systems, it's not uncommon, very often, I'll find issues with safety, code violations, maybe efficiency, indoor air quality problems. If I find any of those issues, is that something I should bring to your attention or should I just keep that information to myself, right? When you ask them that question, of course they're gonna say, no, don't keep it to yourself, tell me, right? Uh, let me know if you find any of the problems. Well, that's very important because what's gonna happen in that situation when you get to the end, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever later, you can come back and say, Mr. Homeowner, you said to let you know if I found any other issues. Well, here's a list of things I found and then you're gonna go into explaining those problems, the potential solutions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and trying to earn their business. But to do that, you want to make sure that you get permission to bring those problems up to them. Because listen, a lot of times service technicians are nervous that they're going to seem pushy, right? Uh, sometimes homeowners can get aggravated if you come to them with solutions to problems they didn't even know they had. So if you get permission from them to bring those things to their attention, they can never get frustrated with you because they're telling you, yes, if you find a problem, bring it to my attention. If you do bring it to their attention, they say, well, you know, you're just trying to sell me stuff. All you got to do is say, oh, well, earlier you had said to let you know if I found some problems. So it's no problem. I'll just go ahead and do today's repair, right? So you've got to out, right? You put it on them. It's their responsibility because they're telling you they want the additional information. So just build a relationship and finish the relationship building process by laying the groundwork, the framework, the foundation to offer multiple solutions to the homeowner later on, right? Now, over the coming weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk more about this risk process. Today was a, a real quick overview of that relationship building process. In the coming weeks, we'll talk about the investigation, the selling process, and the, you know, bringing the call to a conclusion. But wanted to give you a, a brief intro today on how to start building that relationship and position yourself to offer multiple solutions at the end of the call. Well, folks, as always, you got lots of great questions coming in. And the first one today we're going to get to is, uh, is this question about financing. And then we're going to go to a clip of Drew Cameron answering the question. The question says, I just signed up for financing. I'm worried that my customers will get turned down. What's the best way to handle that? It's a great question because when your customer has credit problems 
and you find out and you're across the kitchen table, sometimes that can be a very kind of uncomfortable situation. Drew Cameron is going to show you exactly how to deal with that. So yeah, so typically about a 74% approval rate with A or B credit. Uh, second look programs can add in about another 15 uh, to 20% people getting approved. I know those are the lenders are going to uh, specialize in like your C and D paper where people have some credit dings and, uh, and whatnot there. So I think you definitely, you know, how do you handle this? I think you have to have multiple lenders first, you know, that do the A and the B paper as well as do the C and the D paper, you know, for that second look because their, their approval rates vary from month to month. And anytime during the month, you will find that these lenders um, also, uh, excuse me, let me just mute my phone now too, geez. Um, that these lenders also will will vary their 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 credit criteria from month to month and during the month. Meaning, if if they find that they're uh, approaching their goal, their sales objective for the month, these these various lenders, because I've spoken with them, um, they don't have to take as much risk later you know later in the month, and so they'll tighten up you know, their their credit protocols you know, later in the month. And so you may find that somebody who gets turned down at the end of one month could actually get approved at the beginning of the next month uh, just because the lender is trying to be a, maybe a little bit more aggressive until they, they reach their their sales goals. Uh, so certainly wor work with multiple lenders because you may find that in some months one will approve and one won't and then vice versa the next month. I also recommend partnering with a local credit union. Um, local credit unions uh, in their charter, as do all banks, uh, you know, have to work with the local community. And they tend to, you know, they tend to know the people in the community or at least know the houses and the areas uh, and the, the employers of the area and whatnot a little bit better than some of the big national banks. And so you may find that going through a local credit union, you may find that you can get somebody approved who then opens up an account at that bank and has a direct debit situation going on there. So I always recommend to have a local credit union in your, your financing mix there. Uh, they can also maybe do some refis and home equity loans for you if somebody has to, you know, kind of put their house up for that. Uh, financing is also credit cards. So make sure you're accepting, you're accepting credit cards. And then one that a lot of contractors I find really don't uh, look into is uh, something called Fed checks or, or cross checks. And it's Fed checks, F-E-D-C-H-E-X.com. And cross checks is cross hyphen checks. Com. These are check guaranteeing services, and the interesting thing about these these organizations is they will allow you to write four checks, uh, up to four checks up front for the investment, and allow the contractor to deposit those checks like every 25 to 30 days. And so in essence, the con the customer gets about 100, up to 120 days of uh, interest-free financing during that period. Now, granted, some of the people who don't have good credit probably don't have the money to be able to do that, but in some cases, maybe they do. They just don't have the money right today. Um, but I, you know, I've had some success with those types of organizations that guarantee the checks, and I, if the customer's check bounce, these organizations ensure that you get paid. Uh, and the cool thing about this is, is there's no credit criteria. The only thing that these um, check guaranteeing companies have as their, their criteria is that you don't owe the check guaranteeing company money. Um, and very few people are on those registries, so um, it can be something that works out for you. And then lastly, you, know, you may look into other sources of revenue that the customer may have, uh, 401ks, or if they can borrow, you know, uh, get a, like a payday advance loan, 
uh, through work or uh, you know through some of these payday advanced companies that are out there, they might be able to do that. Or if they have a relative or friend or neighbor or, or coworker or somebody who may co uh, may co-sign a loan, that could be something that's helpful. Um, but I think the key to all this, and I wanted to end with this after kind of talking about all the other resources that you could have, when a customer gets turned down for credit, the key to that is, is to make sure that they just feel like this is like no big deal. This happens. You've had other customers. This happens too. It's not unusual. Our lenders change their lending criteria during the month. Uh, you'll get notified via via the mail as to what the reason was, and that maybe you can then go to work on your your credit for that. But in the meantime, what can we do to support you? And uh, you know, how can we help you maybe find you know find an avenue for the re you know the money and the resources other ways? And so, do you have a neighbor? And so, help them maybe find that person uh, and let them know that you know, like I say, this is this is just not unusual. And because the idea is, is that you need to help them save face because if they don't have the money now, the need still doesn't go away. And obviously anybody else is probably not going to work hopefully as hard as you're working for to get them approved. And so you want to make sure that if and when they do have the money or they do have the credit that they come back to you. So helping them save face is the most important thing. And just like letting them know this is no big deal. We have another lender. We have a couple other lenders that we can try to get you, get you approved. Um, but if not, um, if and when your situation changes, you know, give us a call back and, and, and we can get the process started all over for you again and, and run the credit for you when, once you think you've cleared, cleared up any issues on your, uh, your credit report. Great discussion there, Drew. Thank you so much for that input. And that's what it's all about, making sure that you handle the situation, you know, with some nuance and with some professionalism. Well, folks, that's our show for this week. Be sure and join us next week. We're going to move through the risk process and be talking about the investigation stage next week and how you can leverage that to become a top-performing service technician. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.